Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome, my friends, to Tuesday's episode of Agitators Anonymous. I'm Alan Averill, your hostess with the leastest. A singer in a heavy metal band trying to make sense of some things I do not. Well, I mean, that's most things. Is it not? Today's podcast is really just a heavy metal gossip girl column. Well, why not? Huh? You can call it the harvesting of low hanging fruit, low hanging heavy metal fruit. I don't know what fruit has lots of iron in it. Answers on a postcard. Um, There was and is another video called From the Grave in the Creating Process, which you can find over on my YouTube channel where I go back over a band's career. Creator um, is brewing, is moving, so I'm going to have a look at that. Maybe Sodom as well, Deicide, who knows. Uh, Right now, so keep an eye out for that and maybe go and follow my YouTube channel for that kind of thing. Now, apparently there are those of you who follow the podcast and know nothing really about the music that I make um, and Whisper It are not even into heavy metal. Well, my friends, welcome to the gossip column and let's hope you just stay for the dulcet tones of my accent, my calming Irish lilt or whatever way you want to describe it. Go and follow me on Instagram at nemthiang underscore primordial or primordial underscore official. Um, The show is sponsored by MetalBlade.com in North America, which includes O Canada. Um, You can use the promo code ALAN to get 10% off. Um, And the show is also sponsored by Hate Couture, hateful yet tasteful clothing and apparel. You surely need an inverted cross bottle opener or a T-shirt that venerates, you know, some despicable tyrant or other. Of course you need it. Go and use the promo code ALAN over at www.hatecouture616.com forward slash and you will get free shipping. Both of the 
sponsors are listed below if you wish to click and go and find them. So as I said before, Tuesday's episode is kind of like the little light relief during the middle of the week. A little bit of heavy metal chat, a little bit of rock and roll, this and that and the other. It's the episode where I don't bang the drum relentlessly about free speech and prattle on about politics or whatever other um, fence-sitting I am doing that week. And uh, I pull on my leathers and find the coolest old-school elite shirt I have in my collection. Look at it with a self-satisfied grin. And then put it back in the collection, never to be worn again, my friend. It's just the knowing that you have it. That is, of course, half the battle that flatters the ego. Today I'm wearing a King Diamond Conspiracy 1989 original, of course, tour shirt. Of course, of course. It's stormy outside in Dublin. We are experiencing, apparently, a heat wave. And the front of the papers are screaming at us about it could kill thousands as if we never had any weather before, as if Irish people have never been on holiday. Um, and it's a whopping 28 degrees. Guys, come on. Is it possible we could have some headlines that are not just generated out of fear in order to get clicks? Anyway, oh, it's Tuesday. I rewrite. I forgot. I'm not supposed to talk about that stuff. Well, anyway. Tuesday, stories, gossip and something new, discussion about a new album that I'm really enjoying in the metal world. It's something I'm going to... Um, start doing uh not quite a review show maybe not maybe more or ev um ue as opposed to or ev iew i don't really know what that means it just sounded slightly salacious um but first off i thought i would address this uh the iron maiden controversy um so let's look at this as we've seen some of the uh the old guard let's call them get a bit spicy lately you saw dave mustaine quite rightly give a guitar tech checking on the stage right next to him, the old sneer and some choice words. Um, if you didn't follow that story, then this is kind of what it's about. Normally, you know, tra traditionally festivals back in the day, let's call it in the 80s or the 70s, they had usually one stage. They didn't have multiple stages. You know, the old Donningtons had one stage, you faced it and you looked at whoever was coming next and between each band there would have been a gap and you know each band had to get up and very often changing drums changing amps line checking it's called a sound check is when you arrive in a venue and you have a couple of hours before and you set everything up and you check the drums you check you know you put the mic in the bass drum you put the mic to the bass guitar well i mean all that is if you're using amps um and that's different a line check is when for example, at Hellfest Primordial had maybe 15 minutes after Rotting Christ, you've got to get, you set your equipment up at the side of the stage, your different amps, and they're on wheels, and you wheel them on, you wheel Rotting Christ stuff off, and it rotates like this. Now, what you're not supposed to do is, and some bands do do this, we have played festivals where between songs I've heard someone playing the drums over on the stage beside us, an unnamed Norwegian band, um, black metal band, were doing this while we were playing, um, and I kind of pulled a mistake as well, shouting at them to shut the fuck up. And um, because it's distracting, you can hear it coming across the stage. What they're doing is they're trying to get ahead of the game by having their stuff checked in advance. And they're kind of just, well, fuck you. Who cares if you're playing on the other stage? You're just not really supposed to do it. It's not the done thing. It's not the stage etiquette. But very big bands and their crew, obviously, and often don't care. But in this case, it's fucking Megadeth. It's not like Judas Priest's crew are going, yeah, pff, who cares? It's, you know, some some um, some band, you know, really low on the bill who can't really complain. It's Dave Mustaine. 
in fairness, right? Um, so what you have is you have two stages side by side, and someone is checking the guitar amps while Megadeth are playing. And that sound will rattle across the stage from one side to the other, because very often they're now connected by a small walkway. And um, it's just not the done thing. So Mustaine went off about it. And, you know, this is Dave Mustaine. Dave Mustaine is like the Morrissey of thrash metal or something like this. He grew up in a time where you did mouth off, you lipped off. And I think it's great. You look back at those old 80s guys, um, <clears throat> they had things to say. They weren't afraid of speaking their mind. Now, now they have, they're at the end of their career. They also don't give a shit. They have fuck you money. Like Morrissey, um, if anybody wants to check out some fucking black metal lyrics, God damn it, check out the new Morrissey song. Holy shit. Um, he is black metal ist Krieg. Um, and I love him for it. Um, but... You know, nowadays, compared to everything to years ago, everything is instant and can be easily shared right at that moment. So I heard about Dave Mustaine giving out right at the moment it happened. Um, I told the story before about Dave Mustaine in, in Antrim in Northern Ireland, I think in 1988 or 89. Um, I think it's 88. Meeting members <coughs> of the IRA outside who were bootlegging shirts, apparently told him about the cause in brackets. I'm doing parentheses here, rabbit ears. It's a bad habit I've d I have of doing during a podcast. Yeah, you don't know. You can't see what I'm doing. <coughs> you don't even know that I'm wearing that King Diamond T-shirt. Who knows? Anyway, he went on stage then and said, give Ireland back to the Irish. Something like this and caused a riot and had to be. Um, hauled off the stage and sent to the airport. Fools like me from across the sea came to foreign land. He told me uh, when I interviewed him uh, that the opening lines of Holy Wars were about exactly about that and what he did in Antrim. Anyway, so the point is everything is instantly shareable. I remember once playing a gig um, somewhere in Switzerland <clears throat> and I saw this guy punch this girl in the face in the front of the crowd and I jumped into the crowd feet first, admittedly, um, to try and get him, to hit him. And kind of missed, but kind of hit him in the shoulder, but squarely kicked his mate uh, beside him and got into a kind of tussle and sort of walked the pair of them out of the venue kind of thing. And there was a big fuss and kerfuffle. Kerfuffle? Who uses that word? I'm like 50s dad. Anyway, when it popped up eventually online, it was something like drunk primordial singer attacks crowd. So point being, you never quite get the full story, I think. But anyway, what did Bruce Dickinson do? Well, what he did is this. Let me bring up this story. Bruce, bringing, Bruce Springsteen. God damn it. God damn, I hate Bruce Springsteen. Anyway, Bruce Springsteen blasts Greek cunt for lighting flare during Athens concert. You fucking cocksucker. Um, blasted a fan as a Greek cunt and a fucking cocksucker for lighting a flare during the band's concert last Saturday in Athens, Greece. Um, the incident occurred as Maiden launched the 10th song of its end the number of the beast at the Olympic Stadium. After singing the opening line of the track, Bruce, Bruce noticed the flare lighting up and immediately burst into an angry rant, apparently concerned that the smoke from the flare would negati negatively affect his singing voice. The cunt with the fucking flare. I've got to sing up here. Bruce shouted into the microphone. I'm not going to repeat what he just said again. Um, the rest of the band continued playing. Um, Bruce left the stage. And, you know, the thing is that Bruce Bruce has previous with this kind of thing. He's a spicy meatball, as old Bruce Dickinson. He does lose his temper. He can um, he can lash out at the crowd. There's plenty of stories of this. Um, I remember a gig in Dublin where they, you know, traditionally they always unveiled the trooper, the flag, 
um, which, you know, the Union Jack, which has certain connotations in Ireland, and the crowd were booing, and there was a sort of rather few tense moments as some of the crowd were booing, some of the crowd certainly weren't. Um, and, I mean, look, the song is about the charge of the Light Brigade, and it's been traditional uh, in a Maiden show for years, but the next time they played in Dublin, they um, didn't unveil the flag, and he made a kind of speech. So Bruce <clears throat> has a, let's say... He is previous with sort of mouthing off, with kind of getting a bit gobby, whatever you want to call it. He's a quite, um, I think he's a guy who, despite seeming very calm and um, menial and well-meaning, well-meaning, well, very quite calm. I think he's a guy who loses his temper. Um, but, of course, my thoughts about this... Um, is it racist? I mean, that's, of course, what people are talking about. Um, everything nowadays is framed as being, is it racist? Is it not racist? But I'm going to say, I don't think it's racist. Are the Greek people a race? Are the Irish a race? The Swiss race? The Belgian race? That's not really how that word works, right? So certainly, in my opinion, it's a poor choice of words from Bruce. I mean, hey, I love Greece and have played there so many times. There's been moments on stage when I, you know, um, I felt like I was about to lose it or pass out or been, you know, a bit irritated at something. Um, I remember getting smashed in the face with a microphone by accident as somebody came on stage to hug me. Um, but I wouldn't preface that with, don't smash the mic into my face, you GC. Um, I think, come on, cunt, is sufficient enough. Um, so it's a poor choice of words from Bruce, which kind of sets him and the band up against the crowd, which is not really what you want at a celebration like an Iron Maiden show. But like I said, Bruce has history of being spicy and losing his temper. I always thought this was one of the reasons he and uh, Steve Harris never quite saw eye to eye, as now and again the version of Dickinson would emerge. Um, and he is prone to doing things like this, where Steve always seemed to be the very much the steadying hand on the tiller who sort of coped with every adversity gritted his teeth and got on with it. Whereas Bruce, I mean, maybe it's just typical singer's um, dilemma, whatever you want to call it. But I will say this. Um, speaking as someone who has lost his voice completely on stage, as I did in Bloodstock about eight or nine years ago, whatever it was, it is true <clears throat> um, that a flare, for example, you have no real idea what kind of smoke um, emanates from a flare. And could it indeed damage your throat? And now I was 35, 36 when mine disappeared at Bloodstock, not 68, whatever Bruce is. And um, so I do kind of get it. And there is no doubt that all the smoke used at a maiden show will have been checked by Bruce's medic as being okay for his throat. Don't forget, he also had throat cancer. Um, and I've been on stage where there's been a wash of smoke and th I've had a moment of panic where I thought, why is that, is that affecting my throat? <clears throat> and of course, like I said, Bruce's age, throat cancer, I get it. Um, but the choice of words, ah, it seems a little bit off. I mean, it's unnecessary to add Greek um, to preface the word cunt. Um, and pretty rude. But racist? No, I wouldn't say so. I think we are too quick to jump to that conclusion, but I understand that that's what generates the clicks right now. Plenty of people have called me an Irish cunt. Is that racist? Ah, I mean, look, chances are they were probably right. But that's what gets clicks unfortunately, in this day and age. I've also been in Athens and seen sporting events um, where people light flares. It's a very kind of southern Mediterranean, um, Balkan Turkish kind of thing. You often see it at football stadiums. 
and being a fan of football, um, you know, we've all we've all seen it. So there is a kind of cultural dimension to that. Uh, so to conclude, Bruce lost his temper, no doubt. Uh, now he might phrase it a little bit differently, but we can't be judged as having a political belief or intent based purely on a few words said at an emotional high point. Um, there you go. I will conclude with my little maiden, you know, my little maiden discussion that uh, I haven't really gone back to that new album. Um, I do wonder if my review for it in Zero Tolerance was a little overkind. Well, anyway. So it's at this moment I'm going to do the uh, next ad read, the next sponsor, so to speak. And that is a young Irish band, a new Irish band called Strangers With Guns. They have a new album called All Pleasure Is Just Relief. Um, they're mentioning bands like the Melvins, big name pulling it out of top drawer right there, Rollins Band, all that kind of thing. To me, it has elements of uh, therapy, actually, a band who I saw, Baby Teeth, all that kind of thing. It's got a sort of particularly Irish quality to it. I know that um, looking at the, I guess, the stats of listenership, shall we say, nation to nation to nation, I can see that Ireland is usually at the top of the uh, people who listen to me. It's got to be a hate listen, hasn't it, my friends? Well, listen, Stranger with, Strangers with Guns, like I said, this new EP that they have. Um, you're probably going to hear a little bit underneath what I'm talking about, but there's going to be links underneath. So go and check them out. Follow the links. Have a little listen and support an up-and-coming Irish band. And links are below. Check them out. And if you think this is, seems like a good space to promote your band, your label, all that kind of thing, just get in touch, DM me, and who knows. And if this is the week of low-hanging fruit, or let's say um, whatever the heavy metal scene is discussing, then I guess I have to discuss, or I will discuss, the Pantera reunion. <clears throat> and is this in bad taste? I mean... I have to say, on the strength of what I know, it kind of, sort of is, but kind of, why not? It's both things can be true at the same time. I'm just sort of veering more in the, this leaves a slight bad taste in my mouth. Um, well, I mean, it would if they were my band. Ultimately, Pantera aren't my band, but, you know, you can still have an opinion on these things. I felt a strong, um, there was a small but quite vocal minority of people who had a quite strong emotional negativity um, to when I did Twilight of the Gods, which was 10 years ago, myself, Nick Barker from Cradle and Dimu, um, Patrick Lindgren from Thierfing, um, Runa Eriksson from uh, Mayhem, Avon Ferry, all sorts of bands, and Froda from Einhurrier put together a kind of Bathory tribute kind of band. And I felt, you know, a pushback from certain elements of fans who were just like, this, you're not supposed to do this, this is not Bathory. Um, and it's not meant for playing live. At the time, my answer was, this is not Bathory, or pretending to be, it's just a tribute to. It suppose it's like Nick Cave doing an evening of Brecht, or something like this. Well, that's kind of what I told myself at the time. But there was emotional and negative pushback. Um, I got it. Um, I had to get the okay, actually, from Corthon's uh, sister at the time. But this, when Anselmo has already been touring as the Illegals playing Pantera. I mean, I say that in the sense that Twilight of the Gods is a tiny, tiny microcosm of the same feeling as in doing something that um, people have a visceral emotional pushback against. I'm not placing it in the same category. Of course, I wouldn't be so goddamn silly um, or that much of an Irish cunt. 
But hasn't Anselmo already been touring? Is the illegals playing Pantera? Um, wouldn't it have been? Wouldn't it have made more sense to just upgrade the illegals and add Zach Wild and um, add Rex Brown to that? But of course, then I guess you can't get the same booking slots and fees for that. If I'm going to be cynical, of course, the main and very real bone of contention with all of this is: look, the first thing is that Dimebag was shot by a kid. Um, who seemed to have stated that Anselmo's interview in Metal Hammer, which I remember seeing and reading at the time, inspired him to do so. Now, in the fullness of time, I don't think that that's actually true. I watched a documentary about it. There's one online. And I never quite followed the story because Pantera weren't really my band. But four other people were shot, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Stagehands, people who worked at the venue. And the kid in question, I think, was in his mid-20s. And he had been, I think he was mildly schizophrenic, but he'd been complaining to fans that Pantera had stolen his songs, that he had written them and the band had stolen them. So I think the um, the rush to sort of proportion blame to what Anselmo's words at the time were in Metal Hammer, even if they were very inflammatory, um, I think was kind of something after the case. Um Perhaps it was a factor, a percentage to it, but there seemed to be other things going on in that young man's head. And the story is crazy. It's a really, really, really tragic um, story. Most people don't quite realise five people got shot. That's the backdrop to this. And for that, Vinnie Paul, I, it would appear, partly blamed on Selmon, but all accounts, they never quite made up for that. Never buried the hatchet, as they say. So with both brothers tragically dead, and let's be honest, it's their band, right? They formed it in 1981 in Arlington in Texas. Um, Rex Brown joined, it looks like, in 1982. And Anselmo joined in 1987. So, um, you know, it's a little bit different. In fact, I'm pretty sure it almost seems to have no uh, precedence. I mean, there are some bands like Leonard Skinner and stuff who've had super tragic and really brutal pasts and histories who are still out there playing with a variation um, I think Red Med, um, I think Red Med, Rick Medlock from Blackfoot is playing the guitar, and one of the the brother of one of the Van Zants is singing. Anyway, I don't know. Their history is also crazy. There are plenty of bands out there with crazy history, but Pantera is very, very specific. Um, according to Wikipedia, just as a kind of aside, Terry Date, famed producer, had quite a lot to do with the changing of uh, the band's sound, and he took some influence from having just worked on Overkill. Years of Decay into the studio. Um, interesting. And I can kind of hear the influence in the guitar tone. Overkill had a goddamn chunky tone back then. So, I mean, look, should they do it? Look, half the band did play on and write those songs and they have the choice to go, to go and do whatever they want. And I say that to people who complain about, oh, Sepultura, are they going to finally reunite and blah, blah, whatever. You know what? If they do, it's your choice to go and see it if you want to. But they wrote those songs. That doesn't un... It doesn't unwrite the fact that um, if Pantera or if Sepultura want to reunite and play those songs, they wrote them. But of course, Sepultura is not mired in the same tragedy and loss as a band like Pantera. Um, I think maybe something that's a bit more similar right now is the Van Halen situation, which is about the next reunion waiting to happen that's slightly uh, down the rung of the ladder, um, a bit less contentious. And... Um, I suppose the reason for that is because the backstory doesn't involve murder. I mean, all of these stories involve drugs. I mean, that's a kind of given. Um, and there are people who think the idea of Van Halen playing without Eddie 
Um, it should just not happen. But, you know, you have Alex Van Halen there. If, if Alex Van Halen was also gone and Eddie was gone, um, could Van Halen possibly do it? Um, and don't forget, Pantera have had several singers as well. I mean, by all mind, by all means, if you're a Pantera fan, you know what, go for it. If you never saw them back in the day, um, I'm personally not. It ain't my band. But the backstory is far too interesting to not comment on. Uh, I think the whole metal scene, regardless of what they think um, of the band or have emotion, invested emotionally in Pantera, is discussing it. But it's also interesting to observe that as the legacy of metal gets older and older, I mean, I made a kind of throwaway comment about how Master Puppets in that um, sequence in Stranger Things um, sort of, you know, um, opened up the band to a whole new generation of younger people and the song rose to the top of the streaming charts. But it also, to me, framed metal, framed Metallica and framed Master Puppets as an anachronism, as, a, as an element of nostalgia in a show that was very much mired in nostalgia, that is very much um, structured in a kind of early 1980s nostalgia. And because I would have been quite the same age as some of the kids in it, I saw some of the same things in my own childhood, playing D&D, listening to the same music, Ozzy Osbourne, all that kind of stuff, um, having the same kind of bikes, wearing the same clothes, all that kind of stuff. So it did resonate with me. But... It also felt very, very nostalgic. And is that where metal is? Because as the legacy of metal gets older and older, I think there's an element of those who've been involved for many years um, realising a door is slowly closing on the party as they're hitting, hitting 60, 55 to 65. Um, the party is winding down. So getting out there for one last parade um, is weighing heavy on the collective metal conscience. I mean, I noticed the other day that Chuck Billy is, Billy is 60, for example, um, maybe it's just a refusal to give up the stage. But I mean, hey, Lemmy went out there with three months to live, riddled with cancer, pushing 70 and plugged his bass in. Um, so it's not surprising. Um, but I'm pretty sure that we can find variations of the Pantera situation in all walks of life now. I'm sure there are, um, you know, two versions of Fairport Convention out there touring. There's hip hop groups, there's pop groups, there's everything Um Every element of music now probably has divisions like this where different people are touring under different names, trying to get out there, stay on the stage, trying to uh, earn a coin, all sorts of things. It's just not many of them are as tragic as the Pantera backstory. Um, I actually, as a complete aside, saw Pantera in 1998 at Dynamo Festival um, and Death were playing sometime at two or three in the afternoon. And um, I could see Phil Anselmo at the side of the stage while Death were playing Swigging Whiskey, uh, headbanging to death. And by the time Pantera played, he was a mess. The band were a hot mess. And in the middle of it, um, they told everyone to fuck off and go and watch Saxon. And we duly did, and Saxon kicked ass. Anyway, so I'm going to have a kind of little new section just to end with for a couple of minutes. And that's basically, I'm going to just discuss an album that I've been playing quite a lot. Uh, and that's the new Mantar album. Uh, German band, two-piece. We played, uh, I think, two gigs with them uh, and Catatonia a couple of years ago. And um, they really made a positive impression on me watching from the side of the stage the way they set things up. It's a very kind of uh, interesting two-piece kind of sound. I, I can hear elements of uh, Melvin's. Um, there's a bit of Motorhead to it. There is definitely some, you know, some Black Sabbath, some sludgy riffs. But then there's also elements of kind of rock and roll creeping into the sound. You can hear Hellhammer. The band have a very sort of interesting and sort of, um, I, it's kind of like a modern old school image. 
and it's quite um, different to most of the bands out there. To me, it just looks like, like uh, you know, those kind of early 80s casual band photos you saw of Husker Du or you saw of Black Flag or you saw of all of the early 80s punk shots, sort of candid, quite normal kind of shots. But except the backdrop of a quite extravagant overblown metal scene sometimes as you know whether it's power metal or black metal they do stand out a lot um but i've been spinning this record now consistently for the last week or so many many times i i will confess that i don't know every underground band anymore um, but I'm going to make this a kind of little regular thing on a Tuesday to just discuss a band that I've been sort of that sort of hit the right spot just at the right time. And there are elements I can hear of like maybe that sort of modern dirgy tryptoconny kind of sound. But Mantar sort of mixing it up with a bit more rock and roll, a bit more attitude. I, I hear some I Hate God, maybe, maybe even some Pantera, but also it's a bit of Black Flag, Hellhammer. There's but there's also elements of Dark Throne. The single Odysseus. Uh, is really, really great. This is one I just played. Um, I'm not a man who repeats songs often, but I played this one three or four times in a row before getting stuck into the album. Um, And I just think that this is a band who could be headed for much bigger things and much bigger stages following the, I'm not going to say the Gojira grand plan, but it's got elements of that kind of thing that I could see um, it's interesting because it takes an awful lot of traditional rock and metal elements, but it sort of uh, eschews the um, or it doesn't, you know, indulge the over the top characteristics of traditional heavy metal that put off many uh, modern fans or new people who want metal, but they don't want the trappings of metal. They don't want to be looking at the stage and seeing kind of, you know, mutton dresses, lamb and people in affliction, T-shirt clothing and all that kind of stuff. So there's a kind of hardcore vibe to the band which i think could really bring in an awful lot more fans and so my recommendation for tuesday's um you know for tuesday's podcast and let's call it my album of the week or whatever you want to call it is a mantar and it is pain is forever and this is the end and this, my friends, is the end of Tuesday's random rock and roll discussion. A bit of Bruce Dickinson, a bit of Grumpy Dave Mustaine, a bit of Pantera gossip. I am your heavy metal gossip girl. My friends, Agitators Anonymous, over and out, Planet Satan. We will see you on Friday for an even spicier meatball.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.